0: Side with Andrew Gunling and J.J. DeVani. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling and
1: J.J. DeVani. What's up, brother? Oh, I'm refreshed, Andrew. I, I thought I'd be much more tired considering the Western Conference final w- looked like it was heading for, for extra time last night. But no, it was not. And excitement ensued. And we all got the just about the correct amount of sleep yeah I know when uh, when the equalizer was scored, I was like, oh,
0: all right, bear down another thirty here we go. Come oh, we're on be we're gonna be bleary-eyed in the morning. yeah, but then uh, no, no, no. there was still one more twist in the plot. My God, what a game. what a, I mean we'll talk about it in more um in more detail coming up in a, in just a little bit, but uh, like y- you watch Seattle sometimes in the playoffs and it's this kind of Weird mental back and forth of, well, it's the Sounders in the playoffs, so you can never count them out. But then you see things like Jordan Morris slamming one off the post at just like 80
1: miles an hour, and you're like, well, if he's not scoring that, this is just not going to happen. 2-0 down with about 20 minutes left. You're kind of thinking Minnesota have done this. They've already done it in in the recent days to Sporting KC. It's happening again. But no, no, no. Schmetzer, like he he always says, this is a team that has – well, Smetzer didn't say this. I'm saying this, but he more or less said muscle memory for championships. That locker room is full of it. And so here we are. And I mean, it's amazing, Andrew. That's only a part of what's going on in this podcast today. Just a tiny part. There's so much happening. Oh, I mean, come on. This is the uh, football's going on forever.
0: We know this full well. Of course, we're going to talk about the North London Derby. Uh, we're going to talk about what was a big weekend for Americans, uh, specifically on Saturday. Um, so we will get into that. I know you have prepared a wonderful mailbag. I've, I've already got a glimpse at some,
1: not all of the questions and uh, And, I'm excited about, uh, about them. And two surprise mentions in the mailbag, which I haven't told you because I need your raw reaction to them. Uh, we go south of the border for one of them Ooh, down Mexico way where the tuna fish play the song suggests.
0: Um, and then also, the UEFA World Cup qualifying groups were released, and I'm curious specifically to get your reaction on Ireland's group, uh, but we'll give some kind of initial thoughts yeah. and reactions to to how those groups, maybe some of the nations that are feeling fortunate, maybe some that are feeling like they have a, a difficult road ahead of them. So I'll be curious. I have not talked to you about that yet. We'll, we text about a lot of things over the weekends, but that was one that uh, I don't know. I'm not sure where your head is at on that one. Yeah, I, my head I'm is curious. mixed.
1: I, I've okay. seen some groups and I think, ooh, look at that one. And the other ones which are like, eh. And then other ones which are, well, England are qualifying from that one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, we'll get to all that. There's really, uh, there's a lot to do, like you say. Uh, let's start, JJ, though. Let's go back to the weekend. Let's go to North London and the North London Derby, where about 2,000 fans were in attendance, which was kind of nice. You didn't have to have the, uh, the manufactured crowd noise. I thought the crowd did a, a decent enough job of uh, generating some some real actual human sound uh, in the stadium. It was uh, it was kind of a refreshing sight to see them back in there. And let's talk about what it is that they played witness to. It. It's 2-0, Spurs do it again in very similar fashion as to how they dispatched of Manchester City. Um, this was an interesting stretch for, for Tottenham. They were playing well coming in, and then we kind of looked at this Chelsea-Man City-Arsenal stretch and said, okay, we're going to learn a lot about this club over the coming few weeks. And now they exit that stretch with two wins and a draw and pretty much imposing their style of play on their opponent
1: in all three matches. Um, Or in some cases, particularly the second half of the Arsenal game, not doing very much of anything at all to impose it. It it was very, very gentle imposing, a very kind of passive imposing, but it is imposing nonetheless. Well, it's what they're going to do. I think we now know, you know, last year, it's funny because we talked about
0: Tottenham last year. and, you know, we knew it was Mourinho, but there were still moments where we couldn't – we just couldn't quite tell, okay, well, what is their identity? What is it that they're trying to do? Uh, and, you know, there was, I, I think, the the patient side of us that was also simultaneously saying, well, give him some time. You know, these aren't – a lot of these guys aren't his players. Uh, Kane is hurt. Son is hurt. You know, there were key guys that were in and out of the lineup. Yeah, we remember the horror of watching them at times. And yeah. so now we've had time, like we've talked about. And, you know, he's – you know, he's gone out. He clearly identified Horbie, uh, Hoiberg as somebody that he wanted on this squad. You're seeing why. Another, a, a man of the match performance from him in this game. Uh, and most importantly, probably more importantly than anything else, uh, I think the, the buy-in that he has gotten from the players on this team have, has been most interesting to me. Because I don't always know, like, is this a style, JJ, where if you walk in, to the dressing room and the manager kind of, you know, puts out what his strategy is going to be on the board. Is this a thing where you might have guys in a locker room looking at each other, being like, you know, kind of rolling their eyes like, Oh man, I just feel like this isn't necessarily the kind of style that gets guys excited. And yet he
1: has, you can see total buy-in from this group. 100% Andrew. And when you, when you think about, what they were before Mourinho. So this is a team that was going to play in your half and going to be on the front foot. Now, we're not going to do any of that. But right now, at least, when we break and we get those opportunities in games, we're going to be devastating, absolutely devastating. One image that I couldn't get out of my head uh, from this game was the second half moment where it's 1v1 in the box between Aubameyang Yang and Toby Alderweireld, a player I had said a year ago was done. I could not see a way back from him. For him, it was over for me. He was put in the spin cycle by Danny Ings, I think, over two games—one in the cup and one in the league—and Aaron Connolly away at Brighton. And I thought, you know, he's had a good stretch here now, but he's definitely in major decline. And you see him make that block tackle on Aubameyang, and that's the buy-in, Andrew. That he was—he was John Terry encapsulated in that moment how many times did we see John Terry do exactly that kind of thing for Jose Mourinho at Chelsea and Eric Dyer as well you asked me centre-back I, I may have used the phrase total poison at centre-back but he's given them a role when we go ahead when we are ahead when we're in control of a game you won't be defending on the edge of the centre circle there will be no balls in behind you'll have nitty-gritty straight up defending now in this game Arsenal with the never ending cross machine that they were they they made this easy i mean it was it was dreadful like i think in the second half spurs were in the 20% of possession zone like arsenal totally dominated and yet didn't well, dominate at can- all that's the thing. You can't use that word. We we have to stop. And
0: I think Leicester, and, and I'm not going to say that they were like, you know, they paved the way in this, but I think Leicester City, their title winning year, taught us that we cannot, we cannot look at possession and use that as a game. Uh, I, know, I know, I know, I know. But hang on, Andrew. Spurs, cannot
1: do that. I am not. Okay, let's not do that. Then let's go with what we saw in our eyes. What do we see? Arsenal would have the ball deep in Spurs territory and could do nothing, partly because of the excellent defending and the the total organization of that Spurs defense. Also, they had no invention. They had nothing that could trouble Spurs. And I give Mourinho credit for that, for looking at it and saying, we're 2-0 up. Why would we bother? Why would we even begin to risk opening it out? They had an Abamiang header, which he sh- probably should have got on the frame at a goal. And they had Lacazette, who forced a good save for a, a standard enough save, yeah, but a good, it was save, a good save, save nonetheless, from Oogler-Reese. Otherwise, you know, nothing. And Mourinho called it right. Easy, absolutely easy. Um but real real quick before you go we're gonna get to the Arsenal side in a minute, I'm sure. Well we're but not going there just yet. Okay,
0: because I, I just I I don't want to leave the, the buy in portion of this just yet, because there's a couple guys in particular that, that strike me that this doesn't work without their buy in. One of course is Kane uh and the way his role has changed, which you know I, I think it's a role that he probably has always
1: known suits him. Um, So, I don't think getting him to buy into that is particularly difficult. Equally, though, as much as it suits him, Andrew, we couldn't have known he could become an assist machine. Like, no one saw that. Sort of. Well, we, We, for years, we've talked about how he's one of
0: the most underrated
1: passers in the league. And
0: I think, yeah,
1: but to to turn into a guy who's like, what, 10 assists for Son or whatever he's done. Well, their
0: partnership has
1: been, it's been outstanding. And
0: I think it's also, though, part of it's, it's part of the way this team wants to play. Kane gets the ball and immediately the wingers, Bergman and Son, no, go, just go, just sprint. That's it. And he'll find you. Uh, so it, it's all part of the way they want to play. But the other buy-in that's been interesting is, you know, the way they're using Musa Sissoko now. I mean, like we watched him, remember JJ, in the, the European championship final for France. Mm. I mean, the way that he was like this attacking midfielder, how he was so dangerous in attack. And now he's almost been used as an extra defender. Uh, in, in a way more defensive role and he's been excellent he's thrived in that position I don't know if this works without his willingness to do that
1: yeah um, I don't think it works without the the organization of that midfield it doesn't work without the signing of Hoiberg who is just been an immense signing on too it's been a very very good time it's now, weird or- though we,
0: we remember like they signed Bale you're just wondering, okay, is this some sort of secret weapon <laughs> that he's waiting to deploy? Or is this a no. guy that, is he going to be your like, you're my ace in the hole to make sure we go deep in the Europa League? Is he just keeping Bale fresh? Because Jose is assuming with the, the fixtures coming fast and furious at some point, Kane, son, someone's going to get a knock and I'm going to need to have this guy waiting in the wings. Like, I'm just wondering,
1: when are we going to actually see him? Um... It makes me worry about what the Tottenham medical team think about his durability. That's one. That is also Uh, an option. He's had a long time out of not regular football. That's two. So maybe he's not up to speed yet. Three, this thing is in in nice working order. You cannot say that Steven Bergwijn is a more skillful, uh, technically better footballer than Gareth Bale, but what is he and what has always been important to Mourinho is a guy who will play game after game after game after game after game. No, I'm not saying Bergwijn has done that at Spurs. He's been injured too, but he's more likely. Youth is on his side in that respect. So, hmm. The only question, Andrew, that was more repetitive or a more repetitive feature of Arsenal's than Arsenal's crossing at the weekend was the NBC analysts asking are Tottenham genuine title contenders. Now, I screamed. Screamed. Of course they are. I've been saying this forever. <laughs> so did
0: I. The same words. I think I actually said it. Like, I was watching the game by myself. I think
1: I actually spoke aloud. But there's there's a fly in the ointment right now, Andrew. A fly that has just buzzed in. Uh, this fly is a human fly, very much like the film The Fly. And the fly that is doing breaststrokes and and diving into the ointment really having good fun in the ointment this morning where are you going is, is a I'm fly not... is a, is a fly <laughs> called michael cox of the athletic okay. a statistical fly one with glasses and a pocket protector
0: shut up just get to <laughs> it
1: <laughs> so uh, basically the the athletic, cox has this piece out today and it's about that this is the perfect time 11 games in into the season where we assess who's overperforming who's underperforming who's sustainable at this point in the league. And it would make worrying reading if I'm a Tottenham supporter. Um, so I, I, I won't deal with the whole defensive part of it. You should go to, the uh, guys, you should go to the Athletic and, and read the piece. But this is the attacking point, which is crucial to me. Uh, similarly, going forward, Tottenham have scored 23 goals from about 17 XG of chances, largely thanks to Son Hyun-min's sensational form, his sublime opener against Arsenal on Sunday being a classic example. He scored 10 goals from 3.5 XG, a ludicrous overachievement that would be off the charts if he sustained it for the entire campaign. Still, considering Spurs' objective for the season was to finish in the top four, this shouldn't be taken as criticism, but well, we're talking about them as as title contenders, Michael. Um, The numbers so far suggest that the year of the one won't bring another long-awaited title for Tottenham. The table below tells the story. Tottenham have scored six more goals than you would have expected based upon the positions of their shots. Basically, guys, what's happening right now is not sustainable, according to that fly, Michael Cox.
0: So that is super valid. I would not refute what he's saying.
1: it goes they, against my instincts because it's it's anti no, they, what they, I believe.
0: They are playing with a ruthlessness right now where you feel like every time they bomb forward in attack, they're gonna score a goal. And I don't I don't know that that's sustainable. Here's the only reason that I say the stats are a little bit difficult in Tottenham's case to trust. And I'm kind of just spitballing here. Like I, I've only heard those stats just now for the first time when you said them, but they're not shocking to me. The only reason is. So, like you just said, what happened in the first half? Tottenham went up two 0 and then what happened? They make the conscious decision: okay, we are done trying to score. Right. Now, in a game, let's say it's a game where Son, you know, that first goal that he scores, which I'm sure the xG on that was extremely low. Um, let's say that doesn't go in. You know, let's say it's still nil nil. You know, then Tottenham won't make the conscious decision of okay, we're done trying to score. So, like. Their XG, their, their statistical numbers in attack are always going to be low because when they get a lead, they make the decision to stop playing in attacking style, uh, whereas other teams get a lead. Manchester City, Chelsea, some other teams will, will pad those numbers because they'll have a lead and they will keep trying to add to it. Tottenham go into defensive mode. They try to protect that lead. But we don't know what those numbers would look like if they were in a position where they needed to keep trying to get goals.
1: Yeah. Uh, my friend, uh, Brian, who owns the Black Harris Bar in uh, in Brooklyn, he's a big Tottenham fan, and he is loving what's happening right now, just like you. But he, he asked me in his gruff London accent, you know, my worry is, Jay, what happens when they go behind and they have to come out and play more? Great question. Yeah. He also said, what happens? This isn't me. This is him. What happens when you come up against a team that has something more creative, than what Arsenal have, which is, you know, a collection of of players. They had they had no invention. And-
0: well, let's just stop. I mean, they did. You know, who are those teams? Manchester City. Manchester City. Mean, we're State- talking about Liverpool. Liverpool. Look, Liverpool and- really? Yeah. And, and- Liverpool is and- the one that I assume. Look, Tottenham are not. They're obviously not going to win out. And I I look at Tottenham Liverpool, and I I worry about that matchup for the exact reason that you are saying is that Liverpool. You know, th- they are. Also ruthless in ways that Tottenham
1: are exhibiting, and Tottenham have yet to go up against the side that, that are gonna do that. Now, in, in 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 Mourinho's defense as well, and this is the argument I would make, is he not suited for a perfect season? Like the high pressing teams are are getting exhausted already, or we or they have been or they've suffered injuries. Well, what do you mean a perfect season? I mean winning the league is what I mean. I shouldn't oh, have said okay. perfect. I'm not I'm not talking about, I mean, that them winning the league is the perfect season for Spurs. But I mean the perfect season in conditions that suit a team that is not going to expend itself every single game pressing. And it's not, I say it's not going to rack up injuries. If anything happens to Kane and Son, the dark cloud is is immeasurably large. That floats well, that's up. why I mentioned Bale, because he's this. This wild card that's just sitting, but, there but as wild like, as this as wild as this card is, it hasn't exactly been brilliant in the game in the in the sample size we've seen in the Europa League. He's been he's been okay. I mean, he scored last week.
0: Remember, he scored the winner coming off the bench against who was it, Brighton, um, a few weeks back. So I don't. You're right. I don't know. I don't know what he'll look like if he gets a few you know, weeks
1: of, of, of run in them. I, I don't know. Anyway, these are all questions that, that will be answered in, in the fullness of time and we should probably talk about Arsenal.
0: Yeah. Um, so the thing watching this game is like our Arsenal, is it admirable that they're not willing to change their style against a team that's set up that way? Is it naive? Is it foolish? Like at some point, these teams that want to possess the ball, pass, attack, at some point, they're going to have to change, I would think, when going up against the side that has that is fully interested in you playing that way. Sure, come on, possess,
1: pass it around forever. Play in a million crosses. We'll repel every single one of them. We want you to have the ball. Right. But look, then you're ending maybe in in, in a stalemate. (laughs) Spurs won't come out. Arsenal don't come out. We have this kind of... What does that game look like exactly? Like one of those... Imagine one of those 19th century uh, or 17th century military battles where they all line up in a row. They meet in the middle of no no man's land. And in fact, instead of just firing cannon and muskets, they just stand there looking at each other. (laughs) Um, I don't know what that game looks like. But, but Andrew, a variation on a theme would have been to not cross the ball high into where Spurs defenders love to just head it away. How about drill one along the floor? And it was such, it, Mourinho made me laugh so much because he praised Arteta so much. They were trying to create triangles on the outside, you know. like I mean, this was just like playing into his hands. Uh, and Arteta must have been, felt terrible listening to Mourinho kind of Plaude him and and placate him and just say well done and tap him on the head and ruffle his hair, um, but I thought, and it was just for a, a moment, what would that side have looked like if it had Mesut Ozil? Oh,
0: it's like we're sharing a brain. Now the I'm not. Thing I was going bring up.
1: I'm not saying he is the answer to every problem. He's not. But at least you would have had someone on the field who could pick a pass. Play the ball through the line. Do something other than cross it in and have it cleared. Any, you know, and it's not so much that Ozil is uh, the answer to everything or indeed anything. It's just the situation they've got into right now, where he is cannot be considered a member of this first team squad. Cannot be called upon in any way. You know, you look at United, and I'm, obviously Juan Mata didn't fall out with. With all like Gunnar Solskjaer, the United board or the club in, in, in the same way that Ozil did. But like, man is always there. This option to come off this wily creator, you know, he can still do a little bit. He's not going to give you ninety minutes, but he's going to give you something. Like the idea that Ozil is in the club, but cannot be called upon, must not
0: be called upon is crazy. So you're watching them and you're watching the way they play especially before Danny Ceballos came on when uh, Thomas Partey got got injured and then Ceballos came on but before that happened you know you're kind of watching Arsenal and you're watching them try to figure out a way through this and you kind of think to yourself boy wouldn't it wouldn't it help them if they had an elite passer mm-hmm. and then you're kind of like oh wait wait they they actually do they do have one now look I don't it's disingenuous to sit here and act like Mesut Ozil like you said is is the the cure-all to whatever problems are ailing Arsenal he's not a perfect player and there's a reason that they're in the situation with him that they are right now they for for many of his flaws they they no longer have use for him but like you wouldn't even try. You wouldn't even think about reinserting your best passer into this team to maybe if for nothing else, you, you have rendered Obama Yang your, your current best player, your, your best, so the guy who's supposed to be your best player, you've almost rendered him useless. Yeah. Like there's no one that can properly feed him, it feels like. And he's having a hard time generating his own offense. So wouldn't it help to get someone in there who's suited to make him a better player? Ah. Another and Arsenal fans will hate this, by the way. Of course they will. They, I know.
1: Will, they will not want to hear any of And look, Pat Ozil is 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 a part author in the downfall of his career at Arsenal. There's no question to me. Uh, you know, not not agreeing to the pay cut, um, <laughs> looking to sponsor the pay of Gonosaurus as some kind of own, you know, things like that didn't go well. But um, but also I and I, I'm gonna make excuses for Arteta now. <laughs> I don't know how Arteta is supposed to deal with a moment where right before half time, Thomas Partey comes off the field, and Arteta has to try and shove him back in because you're about to concede a goal, and which they invariably did. You know that is such a bizarre incident and so unlikely to be replicated again. Um, but on transition in general, like what, this is the criticism I would give to Arteta. You know what Tottenham are going to do? Would you not work? All week on shape on counteracting that. And they look like this is the first time they'd seen Spurs play. So like things aren't good at Arsenal right now. They're fifteenth. Um and, and they're kind of playing like that. And you and you wonder where this goes next. Now, I think we understand that Arteta has the back end of the board. They're not willing to just turn face on this and, and, and try something else. So um I d I don't know. I it's such a bad and again I, I will go back to um to what Arse blog said last week about them. It's not really clear what they're trying to do, but it's not working. Well, um, I
0: mean it's kind of clear. We are going to play in as many crosses as humanly possible, and just uh-hoo. expect that at some point we will get ahead on one of them, or there will be some kind of deflection.
1: Something. That, I mean, that's they like doing that. Yeah, yeah. Let's get. Let's create. Let's make triangles on the wide areas. Which is a good idea. If you're trying to beat the fullbacks and get in behind, that's a good idea. But then when you get to the byline, you can't flick in a cross, which is like Toby Alderweireld is like, okay, boom. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's not what we expected when
0: the season started. Arsenal were supposed to be on the rise. Tottenham were not a team that we were really feeling good about.
1: Uh, yeah. But we liked their signings and we thought there was something could happen. But- we? Look, I like you just, signings. You made
0: fun of me when I brought up Hoybier as a good signing. How dare you try to change history?
1: I don't think that I will, happened.
0: I will I will find the tape you animal. All right. Okay.
1: <laughs> I can't even remember.
0: Uh, let's see now. Let's go to um a player who looks like he could be headed down Mezud Ozil's course and that is Paul Pogba with what's going on at Manchester
1: United. Down Mezud Ozil's Boulevard. What kind of street would that be? Uh, a, a boulevard of broken dreams, Andrew. Oh. Shattered promises and, and lots and lots of, of staying at home, playing the PS5. Inhabited
0: solely by dinosaur mascots. Uh, so here's what happened. Um, Manchester United, they, you all know by now, they, they won the game. Um, Solskjaer continues his uh, to pull the ripcord at the, at the right moments. Um, but then yesterday there was this. I'm reading here, JJ, from ESPN FC. So United have triggered a one-year extension in Pogba's contract that will keep him at Old Trafford until 2022. But in an interview with Tutosport, Sport, uh, Raiola, Pogba's agent, has revealed the midfielder has no intention to committing his future to the club and wants to leave in January. Here are the quotes. It's over between Manchester United and Pogba. No point beating around the bush. It's better to speak clearly, look forward and not waste time looking for people to blame. Paul is unhappy at Manchester United. He's unable to express himself as is expected from him. He needs a change of club, a change of scenery. He has a contract which runs out in a year and a half in the same number in the, in the summer of 2022, but I believe the best solution for everyone is that he leaves in the next transfer window. Otherwise, United know well the risk of losing him for nothing, given at the moment the player has no intention of extending his contract. If someone doesn't understand this, they understand little or nothing about football. In any case, they can all blame me if next summer Paul leaves. How does United handle this situation?
1: Uh, on the eve of such an important game against RB Leipzig in the Champions League, you know, the make or break game for their European season. Incre- it's incredible. Um now, I saw someone, a, a writer, a sports writer for Forbes, and I apologize, I don't remember his name, saying that Solskjaer should ask for an apology from Pogba for what his agent said, or to not apologize, but to discount what he said, or to to at least say that's not an appropriate comment to make at this time. I, I'm not on, that's not what I'm, I'm saying. Why would that ever happen? Yeah, why? First of all, these comments were not made out of nowhere. No, of course not. And second of all, he feels as if he if Pogba didn't give him that, then he shouldn't be allowed to play against Orby Leipzig tomorrow night, which is cutting off your nose despite your face. Don't do that. The best thing for Solskjaer now is to do nothing on this and for United to say nothing on this and get him out on the field in the way he played in the second half. He played very well. Beautiful goal that he curled in against West Ham, even though he had a terrible, I thought he was brutal in the first half, but then United were in general. Um, get him out on the field and get the best out of him. There's nothing, nothing is to be served from getting into a back and forth with either Mino Raiola or Paul Pogba right now. They're, look, eat what's in front of you. Eat your dinner. Your dinner right now is RB Leipzig. Get on with that. Do nothing. What? There's not no statements. No comments. Swat them away. Go full Belichick. We're on to Cleveland. Don't um, do anything.
0: I I actually agree, yeah. and I and just kind of scanning through Twitter, it seems like there's this sense that Paul Pogba should never wear that uniform again.
1: No, 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 no. I I, I, I think why I. Why would you, you go down that road? Don't. Dare go, no, yeah.
0: I would. I would dare him. Okay, we're gonna play you, and I dare you to to
1: you know, to give
0: a a half-assed effort.
1: Are you, I do not believe, and some people say he's, he's been given a quite a, he's been given one butt cheek for the last few years for United. Uh, But don't go down that road. Rancor, toxicity, not going to help. Try and get whatever you can out of him. You saw it at the weekend. He's still capable of being a match winner for you, or, or at least changing a game. Get on with it. Don't, Nothing to be gained. Raiola wants this. Now, what, what I found interesting was was this, and we kind of spoke about this already, but Andy Mitten of United We Stand on ESPN and just great United voice on Twitter. Barcelona, Real Madrid, they won't make a gallant bid and the rest know there are better options. They've all had their chance to pay big. Nowhere near the interest of 2016, even at a much reduced price. Caveat emptor, which means let the buyer beware. What a shame it came to this. What poor timing today! I, I agree as well. It's not as if making it clear you want rid of Paul Pogba is going to see a slew of suitors who are going to come in and, and and make that trade. And I don't. I mean, apart from a apart from maybe like some kind of a swap or a loan deal or something like that, there's there's no real option to get big money for this guy or to make any money back. So try and deflect and, and get on with with the task in hand.
0: Yeah, I. It's unfortunate. It's a it's a, a crummy situation that they're in uh, to have this clearly disgruntled player who's on such huge wages. I could you know that could you could see how that creates resentment in a dressing room. But like you said, I think I think you you forge ahead and you hope to try to get the best out of him. Now we have always said since he arrived there that it just never it was it never worked from no. day one. It felt like they never knew exactly how to play him. He was being used more defensively. It just. I don't know. It it was always something was always off and they could never figure out where it is and how it is that he should be playing.
1: That's true. And he's been played nearly everywhere, apart from center back or right back or left back. He's been left sided in an attacking three. He's been he's been he's played in the diamond formation. And under Mourinho, he played very far back the field, like you pointed out. So yeah, and we thought when Mourinho left that might kind of and it did briefly open open his game out but i don't think but not really not consistently anyway um before we get off united and west ham um you know the way when you've just watched so much football over the weekend you're not sure what's going on in your brain did i consume that piece of information did i see that all i had in my head this morning when i woke up andrew was jason kumas and bruno fernandez and i'm like did i really read the stat that Bruno Fernandes created eight second-half chances, which is the most amount of chances in one 45 minutes created by any player since Jason Kumas. I'm like, what an odd couple to have together. And then I went back and up to Joe. That's absolutely correct. The most by a player in a single Premier League match with a maximum of 45 minutes played since Jason Kumas v. Sunderland in February 2008, Impact. So... If people want to see the difference between this United team with or without Bruno Fernandes, that is a, a pretty good stat to be thrown around right now. It's a meaty stat, Andrew. It's just, yeah, he's he's their most important player. Yeah. Uh,
0: I think Definitely. that's
1: that's clear. That's a great
0: stat. Hmm. Um, yeah, by now, people will, I guess, know what has happened to their Champions League
1: fate um, against RB Leipzig. So, uh, Well, they, the United are on an unbelievable streak of a waveform. So maybe... Maybe right now United fans are pretty, pretty chipper listening to this pod.
0: Yeah. Um, let's see. One other EPL note before we move on here. Um, Liverpool, JJ, I, I give them credit 4-0 over Wolves. Um, I don't know. We've spoken so much about the injuries facing them. Is it possible that those injuries are just never really gonna manifest themselves in the way that we thought they might?
1: Mm, I don't know about that. Um, I mean, Liverpool were the better team at the weekend for sure, but it's it's completely okay to think that losing the amount of players Liverpool did in such a short period of time was going to impact them. They have done very well to sustain and to play the way they have in that period of time. But um, even if you watch you know, the weekend's game, you, you can still see Virgil van Dijk missing. It didn't cost them, but you can still see the assuredness of having someone like that playing at centre-back missing. So I I don't know. I will say this. That some of the youngsters that have come into the side in the past two weeks, particularly the young Irish goalkeeper, like the idea that you can drop your number two, bring your number three in. And he is he has been excellent over the last two games in the Champions League and now in the Premier League is pretty great and speaks to the strength and depth in the academy for Liverpool. But um, yeah, no, they're a machine
0: and they keep on rolling.
1: Uh, yeah, there's a. you talked about buy-in earlier. There's there's certainly a system at Liverpool and when pe- players come in they they plug in. But again, there's there's when the games start getting heavy, Andrew, which they are about to, then we will know more about this Liverpool team. By the way, we are going to have a virtual watch. Oh really? I've been keeping this from you. It <laughs> may just be true. me. It may just be me, but Tottenham play Liverpool next week, midweek. And I will do, whether you can join me or not, we don't know. Um, but I will do a virtual watch with, with our listeners. They deserve it. I want to give them an early Christmas present. So I will give the details. Follow us on Instagram, uh, Cut Offside ESPN, and at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter. I will give the full details over the next few days. And we'll probably have a pod before that even happens. But yes, we're going to all watch together. And I'll tell you how that can happen on our social media in the coming days. Wow, this is exciting! It is I, exciting. I, I can't wait to. Uh,
0: I've been treated as a as a listener here. I suppose I know nothing. Sometimes I will have to log on to Instagram and find out the uh, the way this works. Just like
1: all of you, look. I sometimes I feel I have to forge ahead, despite you. <laughs> That's an unbelievable statement. No, uh let's. If you see. can't join us, uh, that would be great. But we'll figure that bit out.
0: Well, you're. Right. I mean, look. I do have. I have a job. Right. So do you, by the way. Doesn't matter. I'll make time. Oh, interesting. Wonder you what your time. boss thinks of that. Um, let's see a, a couple other things here. JJ, uh, I, I wanted to mention Chelsea. Their performance against Leeds over yeah. the weekend. Uh, Chelsea. I mean, it, it wound up being three-one. It could have been, you know, five-six, possibly more. They. It felt like they're. It was a very fun game to watch. The opening goal for Leeds was outstanding. Yeah, Calvin Uh, Phillips' pass. Oh, my. One of the passes of the season so far. And then that goal had to feel great for Patrick Bamford uh, against the team where he never really got a shot. Um, And, you know, that's an interesting thing. I've been thinking about that. Like, so Bamford not getting a shot at Chelsea, it, it feels like it makes Chelsea an easy target for people. But, you know, by the same token, there is kind of a, well, how'd it work out for us element for chelsea like they're i don't know sometimes these things are
1: in everyone's best interest like- but, but it, it happens more more often than not it happens at every club by the way you know there's lots of players don't get a shot there they go on to have great career somewhere else but uh you know it happens a lot at chelsea by the previous model they had of like buying and getting in as many youth players as they possibly could then loaning them out and they're, it's just a numbers game. You can only play 11 players. Right, right. You can only have a squad of uh, of so many. Look at Matt Miazga. <laughs> Has he ever played for Chelsea? Did he get on in like a, a league cup or something? I don't know. Don't remember. even know. And look at all the yeah. clubs he's had since. So that's just the way it works. Right.
0: Um, but it, it was a very good performance from them. Uh, the only, I guess, drawback was Ziyech going off with an injury, but then you bring on Christian Pulisic for the for the last 60 minutes of this one, and he was phenomenal yeah. in this game, creating chances, getting the, the finishing touch of his own, a goal, and stoppage time to seal it. So they, I mean, Chelsea are, I don't even want to say they're flying under the radar. They, they could very well be the best team in the league right now, just yeah. on the way they've played.
1: Yeah, and, and I think as well, it's worth noting that, uh, you know, you could say if you wanted to, back-to-back weeks, where Lampard's got it right. He decided there's no point playing too much against Spurs. They are dangerous. Let's not do that. Pick up your point. And then he identified or or at least his team was well suited to play against Chelsea or against Leeds to, you know, make the most of the spaces Leeds are going to give you because of the way they play and he won the game. Now, there's there's a certain amount going on in that um in that analysis. Uh <laughs> Chelsea fans are in denial that they've just Spent two hundred million and bought off the, the the cream of the elite of European young talent. That hasn't what, happened. What
0: do you mean, Chelsea fans? They don't want to talk.
1: Well, you can't mention that. You you may not mention it. Oh, I don't understand. They feel like it's diminishing from from what's going on. That the club is is in in being run at a level that you just. It's not their fault that they spent two hundred million, but they don't see or some of them, not all of them. That's not fair. But some of them refuse to see the correlation between buying the most valued young players in European football and winning right now.
0: You know, I, I love this from fans that like mm-hmm. this idea of when, when te- when your team doesn't spend, you're furious with them. You know, why are they, why are we being so cheap? We, you know, we're Chelsea, we should be spending money. And then when they do, you're ashamed of them.
1: Like, no, I, no, I don't it, understand. I, I don't think it's shame. It's just that like, well what happened was michael calley who is the uh, twitter stats football guy st- journalist stumbled into a hornets nest you know chelsea and leeds don't like each other and he basically said that bielsa was outmanaged by frank lampard that's what he said in his tweet when and and below it was his xg map where where ch- chelsea was like what 4.1 which is a you know massive xg compared to what leeds was and uh, so the hive of Leeds fans descended uh, because, you know, they're in the position where they don't want to, you know, have anything bad sent, said against their messiah, Marcelo Bielsa. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And they're they're quite aggressive. And so Cali got, really got it in the neck, um, suggesting that Frank outmanaged Bielsa. But I, I wouldn't have framed it like that. I would have said Lampard really got it right. It doesn't have to be... At the expense of Bielsa, but considering the history between Lampard, Bielsa, Chelsea and Leeds, that's the way it came across. And by the way, just before the the Chelsea hive descends on me, I'm not saying you don't have a good team. I'm not saying that Mason Mount and uh, Rhys James aren't playing well, your academy prospects. I'm just saying, you know, that spending money on on really good players can make your team really good too.
0: Right. Look, I mean... Chelsea fans can face facts. Like not every, not every club, not every club can outspend the mistake of a Kepa and then just go out. And while still keeping him on your books, go out and get the other best goalkeeper available. Like we all know this to be true. Not every club can do that. I'm not saying that it's something that Chelsea should be ashamed of or, or try to like bury. No, it's that's you're you're fortunate (laughs) that your club is able to do that. Not everyone can. I, I don't, I don't think that's something that we have to hide or act like it doesn't, doesn't exist. It's just kind of a fact, but none of that even, none of that even Chelsea. matters though. Like I'm just saying that none of that even matters They're Chelsea fans shouldn't even care, but like you're, you look like you might be the best team in the league. And, and by the way, you're doing that coming into a season where we weren't sure that your defense was going to be able to hold up, that we thought they were going to be some kind of weak spot. Well, you know, they just, they just withstood Leeds. A team say what you want about Leeds, but they're right. dangerous in attack. It took one of, it took sure. maybe the pass of the season to break them to break Chelsea's back line down. Kurt Zuma scored a goal. He's been doing that for them. You know Chelsea looked great on set pieces. So be happy, man. This is Christian Pulisic is now he is back and healthy, and we know how dangerous he can be when that is the case. So this is this team is legit. Like I don't see I don't see any drop-off coming. I think that they are in this for the long haul. I feel and I feel pretty highly of them.
1: And I think it's okay to say we have games where one team was better than the other on the day. One team took their chances. One team like Chelsea dominated that second half. Chelsea were better than Leeds, and on we go to the next game.
0: I, I wonder if we're speaking to a, a loud minority here.
1: I think most Chelsea fans are, are
0: understanding that they're a rich club and that they're really good. And it's time to be happy, not to be like going at, you know, people on Twitter who are suggesting that they spent a lot of money. Like That's silliness to me.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, anyway, RIP to Michael Callie's mentions for, and possibly yours, depending on how this conversation is interpreted. Uh, But it, it was quite a day on Saturday for Americans. Like I said, Pulisic came on as a sub, played great, scored a goal. And then in Germany, Gio Reyna scored a great goal for Borussia Dortmund. And in Italy, Weston McKinney with a huge
1: header for Juventus in a one-one draw in a uh, derby this, game. No, that. yeah, um, and six minutes after he came off the bench. I, I Andrew, I, I'll say this again: uh, there is something of of the Roy Keane about this kid. Honestly, the way he attacked that ball in the box reminds me of early stages Roy Keane, like his ability to get around the field and his energy. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It reminded me of a goal he's, uh, Roy Keane scored at uh, Tottenham in 91 or was it 92 for for Nottingham Forest.
0: Can you tell me if I'm overreacting for a minute here?
1: Oh, I will tell you.
0: Okay. But like f- with regards to the U.S. men, you know, over the past couple of years, we've kind of had these series of expectations that have kind of like incrementally changed on different moments. You know, when when Sergio Dest commits to the U.S., our expectations for the U.S. change. Okay, we got this guy. You know, when, when we see Pulisic go for big money to Chelsea, we think, wow, this is, they really think highly of him. Maybe he's even better than we thought. Like, for me, this past weekend on Saturday was another one of those kind of like leveling up a little bit of what I think of this team. And I think that's reasonable, but it's not, like now we're seeing it manifest itself right before our eyes that this is not just a situation of, like okay, we've got some good players that some high-profile clubs have taken note of and want on their team. These guys are are now in a position where they're starting to thrive at really young ages for these high-profile clubs. I mean, to see these guys all scoring goals, important goals on the same day, uh, you know, this is like you, you have to wonder. Gio Reyna, at his age, he just turned eighteen. He's going to be a household name in Europe soon. You know, Pulisic probably is already. Weston McKinney is now probably a household name. In Italian football, like that is that is not a small thing for these young Americans to be have reached that sort of pedestal that they're on
1: now. And Rana, at 18 years of age, starting in that game. Now, the result wasn't what Borussia Dortmund wanted, but the goal was a fantastic goal. His quick feet, his ability to finish—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a serious moment, Andrew. It absolutely is. And um, look, there's there's other players that we would like to get much more minutes. Certainly, we're thinking of you know Wea, um, but right now. You know, to even have three guys in those leagues doing as well as they are and as important to their teams as they are is, is it's really it's it's really quite promising.
0: And by the way, Zach Steffen is going to be starting for Manchester City in their Champions League game on Wednesday.
1: Yep, City's business is done and so Steffen can come in. Um I still think he needs to go somewhere else. Mm. But it's still good that he gets minutes.
0: Yeah. Um so speaking of American players now, let's let's come back JJ to the United States. MLS, we talked about it a little bit at the start of the show, but um, the Seattle Sounders last night in what was probably the game of the season, uh, and what a time for that to occur, Western Conference Finals, they're down 2-0 in what was the 73rd minute? Yeah. And off the bench, uh, Brian Schmetzer just, he got it right. Will Bruin comes in, makes an immediate difference, a ball kind of bouncing around in the box, he gets quick to react, bang. Gets a foot on it, gets it past the keeper. Um, it was it was funny too because you know, they on these MLS broadcasts you have the opportunity for the managers to actually speak to you during the game. Yeah, sometimes I, I have mixed feelings on. I think as a viewer it's kind of cool. They are not always willing to give stuff up, but um, you know, sometimes some of these guys will give you something. And you know, they go. I, I, I don't know if it was just coincidental. I assume it was, but they go to Schmetzer with Seattle trailing two 0 And Rui Diaz's goal has just been disallowed. Like play is now just resuming. And it's now like we go to Brian Schmetzer. At first, it almost like didn't compute to me. I thought they were going to like a sideline reporter for more on why the goal was disallowed. I was like, oh, that sideline reporter is the manager of the Sounders who's probably ready to put his fist through the referee's face. I couldn't. Schmetzer was very contained. I do was you ever proud of him in that moment?
1: Do you ever think, though, when you know when they when they when they pan and they go to the sideline and they go to Schmetzer that you wouldn't be shocked if, when the camera turned, Schmetzer's on the sideline performing a root canal? You know, because like he comes across as a you know a suburban dentist. I love his whole way about him. Oh, well, I gee golly gosh! <laughs> I could have done with that goal going in for sure. Like they talk when they
0: talk to him after the game. Uh, who was it? Rob Stone said to him something like your, your mother, Ursula must, she must be really happy right now. And, and he's just like, well, yeah, of course she's happy. We won the game and she likes when we do well. Uh, yeah. She's very happy. Of course. Come
1: on. You know, mom loves when we win. <laughs> I just love the guy, by the way, can I ask? Cause, cause I went to bed. I just, once, once the game was over, I was like, All right, I, I gotta get some sleep. Did they go to, uh, did they speak to Adrian Heath? at all
0: if they if they did i checked out before right because
1: i looked for i went on minnesota's website where they usually put up you know their own videos and i thought maybe there'll be an interview with heat there there wasn't anything i'm pretty sure their social media crew had just stood down for the night that's enough um but before we get but while you're talking about minnesota though i do want to mention something about them uh because they they
0: they weren't mentioning here for sure this shouldn't just be about seattle the only not that I'm a neutral in this. Seattle, Minnesota, it's all good. I like I like both these clubs a lot. Um, the only thing I will say that is unfortunate with Minnesota going out, I don't know about you, JJ, but I I'm not done wanting to watch Reynoso and Molina play no. soccer. Uh, I want, I wish this was a best of three, five. Like I want to see more of these, those two specifically. I know that it's selling Minnesota as a whole short. They've got a lot of good players.
1: It's not a fluke that they reach this point. uh, Uh, Those two are
0: spectacular.
1: Oh, Andrew, I've, uh, you know, the way I keep declaring my favorite MLS goal of the season, I'm going back on that. The goal against Sporting KC at Children's Mercy Park, where Renoso, He's moving, he's outside the box movement and, f- and just plays this unbelievable pass with his left foot. And Molina just, from an absolutely improbable angle with the ball coming over his shoulder, steers it past Tim Mille. That's my favorite goal of the season. Such a perfect goal. The free kick last night. Oh, how perfect was that? So deft and totally against the run of play. I mean, Seattle were well on top at that point. Um, Jordan Morris was a bit in his own head; he was kind of overplaying the ball a little bit, maybe staying on it too long. Um, Adrian Heath will be raging, Andrew, though, and I'll tell you why. If they're gonna lose, you know, if if there was a diagonal pass that found, you know, Jordan Morris and he cuts it back to Rui Diaz and they score, you're like, that is Seattle. That is what they can do to you but the fact it was on something controllable like set pieces. The game was effectively lost from two set pieces. You know, who is on the equalizer? I, I, I wanted to jump out the window. It was so frustrating. Everyone is picked up in the box. And the danger man from that c- c- scenario for Seattle is who? It's Rui Diaz. I watched the replay this morning. There's no one within the same zip code as him. Nobody's picking him up. It was shocking. Uh, by the way, I blame Stu Holden uh, for something. Stu Holden a um he put the Maloik on the goalkeeper. Uh what's what's the Minnesota goalkeeper's name? I'm blanking. Oh my god. Um Sinclair. Uh he he put he put the evil on him. I think it was him who said right what they need to do after the first goal was in. They need their goalkeeper to be commanding. They need him to come for crosses. They need him to organize. They need him to do all those things. It's exactly what he didn't do. He was like a rabbit in the headlights. And for the winner, Andrew, it's like he froze. He's gone right to the near post, expecting the flick on header. That's good. But he doesn't move his feet at all to readjust and get a little bit central. So he has even a chance to get to Gustafsson's header. He doesn't get close to it. Yeah. Uh, the collapse. Adrian uh, Heat will freak out.
0: Yes, and this will be... I mean, look, there's no other way to put it for Minnesota. This is, this is horrifying to watch that play out. And it felt like, as it was happening, had that game been another five or six minutes, Seattle would have scored three or four more. Uh, clearly, the damn burst. Yeah. Uh, and Minnesota, United, I think, are just looking at that clock, praying that it'll run out, and it just, it just didn't. Uh, certainly... Not in time for them. Uh, yeah, the Rui do the Rui Diaz equalizer was oh, sickening. It was it was shocking, and the watching it in real time, it was shocking. But seeing the replay, like you said, I've seen a screenshot now of where he's positioned compared to where all the defenders are, and I just I don't know how it can happen where you lose track where you lose track of any player on a set piece, let alone the one player that you simply cannot lose track of. He's a ruthless goal scorer, especially in the postseason. His postseason goal scoring record is is insane. Uh, Seattle, they're a great team. And, you know, like Jordan Morris finished fourth in the MVP race. He could afford to have an off night because it was funny to me. Like they talked on the broadcast before the game about Schmetzer wanting his team to show maybe a little bit more selfishness uh, around the box. And then, but you're still seeing Morris in moments where, like that mentality, seemed to be escaping him, and he's kind of looking to play that extra ball rather than just yeah. kind of firing opportunities on net. But and that's not to say though that he didn't have his chances. Like I said, he smashed one off the frame of the goal. Um, that was kind of the moment where I was like, oh, this is this just ain't going to happen if you're missing these opportunities. But in the end, they they work their magic. They're back into the, the the MLS Cup final again. I think this is the ninth cup final of some sort. That they've been in is it four MLS Cups and five US Open Cup? I mean, it's their existence has been truly astonishing with how successful this club has been, pretty much from day one.
1: It's, we'll see if they can add another trophy to their to their cabinet. Yeah, uh, this is what schmetzer said. I've said it before. I don't know how to say it differently. That's a locker room full of championship players. It's easy to be successful in winning games, but when adversity hits, when you're shocked, when you're socked in the jaw by Aussie. Osvaldo and Lonzo, Adrian Heath in Minnesota, and you get back up and you preserve, or per, sorry, you persevere. Minnesota had the game in their hand with 15 minutes to go. All right, schmetzy, rubbing it in. In comes Will Broon, and he sparks the group. I always talk about next man up, what's good about this franchise. Will's had his challenges, and he could be a starter, but he's here and works for his teammates. I couldn't be prouder of his response, of Gustav's response. Raul's goal, I'm telling you, in that locker room, it's real. And that's why I think they're going to win it again. What a matchup that we yeah. have.
0: Seattle and Columbus, uh, two really good teams, two teams before the season that I think people knew were going to be good teams. Two really good stories. Uh, Seattle, like we said, talking about trying to continue this run of dominance that they've had over the league and the Columbus story. I mean, my God, this club was gone. That was it. Like the, their existence as a club in that city, it was over and a grassroots campaign to keep the club worked. They're still there. And now they're going to compete to win a title in that stadium. It's an amazing story. Like you can feel like the script is being written right before our eyes.
1: I think it's going to be a good final. I hate saying that. I've jinxed it. Finals are often bad. But I think, I think it, I think not, it will You're not be.
0: wrong for thinking that.
1: Because Seattle are no, Seattle. Are, uh, Seattle can play a, a number of ways. They can be quite direct, as you saw in the first half last night, and it doesn't always work. But they also have got, you know, they've got pace in the side. They've got unbelievable nose and and technique in Ladero. I think it'll. I firmly believe playing on grass will suit uh, Seattle. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think. I, I just I, I think Seattle have more ways to win, if that makes sense. And that's not to say that if you look one to eleven of this Columbus team, that they don't have quality, Nagby, Zardes, oh, Zellerian. they're they're Zellerian, Yeah. But I just I fancy Seattle to do it again.
0: I think I lean towards you on that just because I think we're used to seeing Seattle in this situation. I mean Columbus isn't that far removed from being in this game, but this Seattle team, like you said, I guess they just look what they just did to get to this point. You know, they, they know how to win in these types of situations. I also see it being a good game. You're right. Finals sometimes give us weird kind of turgid performances, but that would surprise me with the, with the way these two want to play. I don't know. I, I have a good feeling about it. It should be, it should be a very fun watch. Uh, I would say Seattle two one.
1: Uh, three two Seattle.
0: One thing last night, I wonder if you noticed this too. You said you turned off your TV kind of quickly. Maybe I'm could be opening myself up here to uh, to get ripped for this. Maybe this happens more than I realized, but boy, it felt like the celebrations for Seattle last night for winning the Western Conference trophy were were really something. Like the way Ladero. Held the trophy. Oh, yeah. Hugging it, kissing it. But I, mean, I was like, I, I almost had to double check. It. Wait, I was like, this
1: is not, this wasn't MLS Cup, right? This is yeah, this but, the conference final. Oh,
0: but I context is
1: everything, Andrew. The way, the way they, won, they was, won was insane. I understand that. that. That's what shaped the celebrations. Definitely. So I'm off on this.
0: Yeah. Just seemed, I don't know.
1: He seemed to really be clutching that trophy tight. Cry, it was. Maybe it just, means more to him. You know, maybe he's like winning me winning the Western Conference. Maybe he's like me in the European Championships, which I think is a better tournament than the World Cup. You don't actually think that though. You just it's just
0: one of those things you say to try to make people think you're smart and you know, look how different I am. I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> this is how we think. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, let's see. Let's take a quick break, JJ. When we come back, we'll do a, a look around UEFA World Cup qualifying groups, our teams that are are liking it, are not liking it. Mailbag, red cards, man of the match. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now. Caught offside, JJ. UEFA World Cup qualifying groups. So here yeah, we go.
1: I, I guess I should explain to people first how qualifying works in UEFA. I mean, it's fairly straightforward. but Please do. Oh, no. We've got the Nations League. Probably kind of not. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of not. So here's how it's going to work. The 10 group uh, runner up. Obviously,
0: the, the t- there's 10 groups. The group winners advance. The 10 group runner ups are joined by the two best group winners of the 2020-2021 UEFA Nations League overall ranking that have neither qualified directly for the final tournament as European qualifier qualifier group winners nor entered the playoffs already as European qualifiers group runners up. This is not as straightforward as you thought. The twelve teams will be drawn into three playoff paths for one-off semifinals and a final. The three path winners will qualify for the World Cup.
1: Well, that's your that's your nations league standard thing. But you can also just get there through the regular old-fashioned win your well, just cup. win your group. Win, win, or or finish second in your group.
0: Um, let's see. Well, not necessarily just finishing second right the 10 group runners up are going to be joined by the two best group winners from the the nations league overall rankings that have not already qualified and right. then you're going to have the
1: playoff right okay yeah so it's not but you need to if you want to group. have a chance of going to the world cup you need to either win your group or you finish second and go through this playoff system
0: Yeah. So I don't have a ton to say about this. Uh, The questions that I asked, if there were any groups of particular interest to you, if anyone got a piece of cake draw, anyone get a brutal draw, I will say quickly here, Group F looked intriguing to me with Denmark, Austria, Scotland, Israel, the Faroe Islands, and Moldova. There are three three nations in there, Denmark, Austria, and Scotland, that don't feel like they're separated by a ton. I I do view Denmark as a cut above. Um, but and, Scotland and, have been surging as we just saw them qualify for the, the European championships, and Austria have become kind of a World Cup mainstay, it feels like, over the last couple. Uh, so th- those three – and I wouldn't even rule out Israel necessarily as somebody who could be a fly in the ointment to one of those other three. Israel um, will, will again play the role of spo- potential spoiler. So yeah, that those three in particular, I looked at and said, I could see, I, I see Denmark winning that group, but Austria and Scotland right now, I, I don't know. That felt difficult for me to call. Uh, and then for me, the fortunate draw, uh, I believe, was for Germany uh, in a group with Romania, Iceland, North Macedonia, Armenia, and Liechtenstein. Um, Germany have been, they're in a weird place right now. It feels like the the fan base is kind of done with this coach but the Federation just came out and said, well, this coach ain't going anywhere. Uh, I don't know. Would you say that Germany are still kind of in this sort of like transition-like period? But because they they have players with such enormous talent, you know, they'll still be good. But I don't see another clear threat to them in that group. Like, for example, you said before, oh, England, well, they're going through. Well, I mean, I'm not totally ready to just disregard Poland as, game oper- as a game opponent for, for England. And I don't necessarily see a Poland in this group with Germany. I think Germany got about as favorable of a draw as they could have gotten.
1: No, I think that's fair. And again, seeing Germany at the world cup, fine. They should be able to do that. But under this coach, there's issues and there's problems that have come to the fore. I don't see a huge threat to them. They should still eke their, I say eke their way. They should make their way through. And even if they don't, they'll do it narrowly. Um, I think group H is interesting. Croatia, Slovakia, Russia, Slovenia I think that 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 group is is potentially um, a very interesting one too I think Wales have been landed with a tricky group again they reunite with Belgium who they had in qualifying for Euro 2016 so it's Belgium Wales the Czech Republic Belarus and Estonia um, and Spain Sweden Greece Georgia Kosovo Spain obviously the class of that group but it could be it could be interesting to see Kosovo Sweden Greece and Georgia together Sweden would would look at that and think they should try and aim for that second spot. but Definitely. Um, yeah, but uh, Andrew... They'll be favorites to do so. Kosovo can be a tricky team. Um, Georgia, again, I just spoke about Israel playing the role of spoilers. Georgia have been group spoilers for I don't know how long. Um, yeah, and, and then there's the Republic of Ireland's group, which is on paper isn't as bad as it might have been considering uh serbia obviously losing out to scotland in qualification for Euro 2020 Mm -hmm. um serbia capable on their day of being a very good side portugal the class of that group there ireland it'll be crucial home and away to azerbaijan home and away to serbia to try and inflict the damage there because realistically they're going for that second spot but um this is a team right now that can't score goals which makes every game fraught and difficult um and group actually I think group G could be interesting too. You got the Netherlands, Turkey, Norway, Montenegro, Latvia and Gibraltar making up that group. So yeah, there's um there's there's some interesting groups there and I, I do agree with you. I think group group F is, is one that is quite difficult to call. You mentioned before, kind of casually, that this is a, a piece of cake for England. Is that because you
0: think the group is super easy, or do you think it's because we're in a time where this English team is actually le- legitimately good?
1: Well, I, I just look at the way they've qualified over now since since 2008, since the, colla- the collapse under Steve McLaren, where they didn't qualify. Um, and it's been qualification has been routine. And that's I'm not saying Poland aren't uh, having some good players, but England have had very easy groups i i don't see them losing a game at wembley i i don't see them dropping many points away if if at all they'll beat andorra <laughs> they'll albania away could be tricky hungary away certainly could be i just i can't see it andrew i think i think there's more potential for poland slipping up than there is england can i give a quick shout out here um to
0: a country that we we always know they're really good uh you know they're defending european champions uh but I feel like Portugal are entering a moment here where I would consider them a serious threat to to actually. I'm going to go ahead and say to actually win the World Cup. Yeah, just thinking about some of the guys on this team and their ages, like all of these guys hitting their their primes roughly at the same time. Not even they're still on the front end of it. Like João Felix is only 21. Um, you know, we're seeing what Diego Jota is doing at Liverpool. That you know, Cristiano Ronaldo is still great they're, they're still kind of catching him at the tail end of his greatness uh, like we've talked about Bruno Fernandez Bernardo Silva uh, we're starting you know Rafael Guerrero like this team is is really really loaded um, they're always good but I feel like this could be even like a different level for what we sometimes see from Portugal I would I look at them as an early like how we've kind of looked at Belgium, you know, a team that's always good, but now is like really hitting their moment. I feel like Portugal could be that in the World Cup.
1: Yeah, I, I Portugal have a an unbelievable squad of players. I think finding the right formula for them and maybe them playing on the front foot a little bit more would unleash that. Uh, let's see. Should we get to the mailbag here? Let's do the mailbag, Andrew. Uh, cutoffsidepod at gmail.com. I've leaned heavily on emails this week, Andrew. Uh, caught off site ESPN on Instagram. Follow us there and at Soccer Pod on Twitter. Uh, first of all, just a couple of quick notes. Um, the reaction to your piece on, uh, well, to you and Gary Neville's joint piece on math and the, on the season and how the season has been very congested. The math, we've had several people sh- who have contacted us to say that math is incorrect. It is a more congested season and that the amount of game weeks and the weeks in which the space in which to play them for the Champions League has meant it's been more congested. And Gary Le- Neville's maths was was quite a ways off. Ergo, your math was off, Andrew. I'll have to look at that. It is. It's off. A um, uh, quick mention, number of people want us, want us to talk quickly about Cruz Azul. Um, this is from Tom Marshall's report on their epic fail. Last night, uh, there was little reason to think Cruz Azul wouldn't be preparing to face Leon in the Liga MX's final come Monday morning. You can bet that more than one journalist had started and even filed their Leon versus Cruz Azul final previews. La Maquina had a 4-0 lead over Mexico City rivals Pumas UNAM from last uh Pumas uh, from last Thursday's first leg and Pumas were given less than a 1% chance. 1% of making the final by 538 until that is Sunday marked the ultimate Cruz Azulada. Uh, Cruz Azuler has become an increasingly used verb in Mexican Spanish, meaning basically to screw things up from an advantageous situation or to fail at something when it looks as though everything is going your way. Andrew, they lost 4-0 to Pumas. And That's that horrible. meant it was 4-4 in aggregate, but what that meant basically was because Pumas finished higher in the classifications, in the end-of-season standings that Pumas go through. How do you do this? They consistently do it. Cruz Azul are doing it once again. Um, Mitch Carr. uh, There was once a now defunct website called Straight Cash Homie based off of a Randy Moss quote. The site was a place where people could post pictures of some of the most random NFL jerseys of all time. Those were well-known players who had become well-known in one place then spent time with other teams and their time there was utterly forgettable. Think of a Randy Moss Raiders jersey. Uh, other examples, long-time Jags QB, Byron Leftwich's Tampa Bay Bucks jersey. Are there any Premier League players who fit this bill? Guys who were famous for playing at one place, played somewhere else at some point, and then years later, when you look back, you totally forgot they played in that other place? Um, I, I can think of a couple. Okay, you do. I'll give you my one first. I always, and this is probably too old for a lot of our listeners, but Mark Hughes was just famous for being at Manchester United. I forget he was at Bayern Munich for a while okay um i wonder i wonder if frank lampard at manchester
0: city could could go down in that (laughs) that is perfect and and my favorite one is if you're somebody out there who has a michael owen stoke city jersey please
1: post it so we can see it wow eight appearances from michael owen at stoke those are really good ah the frank lampard one's very good um guys Get on our Twitter or Instagram. We, we need more of these straight cash homie suggestions. Thanks, Mitch, for that. Mitch, of course, is a very nice man. Travis Hill, who's the more boring manager? Mm-hmm. Diego Simeone or Jose Mourinho? Now, neither of them are boring, but the style of football at times across their, their, va- their very successful careers has been boring. I'm just going to say yeah. Mourinho. I think of a Sunday matchup between... Annie Mourinho managed team and West Bromwich Albion. I'm hungover. It's part of sky super Sunday's package. And I'm like, why am I watching this?
0: I mean, I looked through some of the numbers, not for their careers, but just like comparing their teams this season, because currently they're both top of the, of their leagues right now. Atletico are first in La Liga. Tottenham are, are first in the premier league. It's hard to say, like, I'll be honest. Their numbers are almost identical. Um, like i'll go through a couple of them this year through 11 games tottenham have scored 23 goals and have an xg of 16.3 atletico through 10 games have scored 21 goals with an xg of 15.4 so if you like even out the 10 and 11 games and what those numbers are it's pretty much it's pretty much a wash um tottenham have a 0.41 goals to shots on target ratio um atletico madrid's is 0.42 like they're they, they both have pretty much the same number of shot-creating actions per 90 minutes. Like, they're, it's the comparison, I guess, that Travis makes of asking about Simeone versus Mourinho, it's a great comparison because statistically, they're, they're almost exactly the same in
1: terms of... I'm going, of but boring, is, boring is watchability.
0: Well, like I told you... they are much
1: more watchable this season than they that,
0: That's what I said to you a few weeks ago, is that I, as a Tottenham fan, I watch these games and I am not bored. So now I'm invested differently because that's my club. Somebody who's a new. You neutral, told me you were bored
1: about the game with the West Brom away, the one nil. You said that was boring.
0: Okay, I'd have to remember that. The fact that I can't even really remember it would yeah. speak to probably how boring it
1: was. Yeah, but do you know what's not boring? Just a quick look at the Le league table, Andrew. Atletico Madrid lead on 26 points. Second, Real Sociedad on 25. Villarreal, 21 in third. And Real Madrid, 20 in fourth. And then Cadiz, Sevilla, Granada, Betis. And way down in ninth. Just on on equal points with Eche is uh, Barcelona. But anyway. We'll we'll get to that later in the podcast. We will get to that in the podcast. Don't ever interrupt me again. How dare you? Uh, Devin Chu. Can you guys talk about what is happening at Derby County? They're at the bottom of the table as of this email, 23rd, uh, I believe now. Manager gone with Rooney, now the interim manager, and a financial takeover. Do Do you see things getting better for the club? Well, I was reading Derbyshire Live this morning just to catch up on where the bid is at. And this is what they had to say. Derby County interim manager Wayne Rooney admits he asks every day about the proposed takeover of the club. The Rams announced early last month that a deal had been agreed in principle to sell the club to Dervencio Holdings UK limited, whose ultimate controlling entity is Bin Zayed international LLC owned by Sheikh Khalid Zayed Bin Sack Zayed Al Nahan. So yeah, if that goes through the future is definitely looking up, they will be one of the <laughs> richest clubs in Europe. <laughs> so but these, these
0: things aren't easy. Ask Newcastle.
1: Yeah, these things aren't easy. So we will be watching that closely. Um, Matt in New Jersey <laughs> with my favorite tagline ever. The the subject line in this email was Fulham. What's the point? Hi, guys. I'm an American MLS fan in need of help with the Premier League. And I fear you fear we are the only ones who can help. Four or five years ago, I decided to adopt Fulham as my casual English team. I like an underdog. I'm American and Craven Cottage looks like a fun place to watch a game. Now that they're in the Premier League, I actually have opportunities to see them play and they're unwatchable. I just turned off the Man City-Fulham match in the first half because there was simply zero chance Fulham might win the game. I get why a Man City fan would enjoy it, but why would a neutral or Fulham supporter watch this? I'm also a Seattle Mariners fan, so I'm perfectly capable of watching my team lose, but there has to be at least the illusion of competition. What are my options? I refuse to switch to a big six bandwagon team just to see wins. Do I just wait for Fulham to get relegated so I can go back to casual support without having to actually watch them? Is the Premier League just not for me? Thanks for your assistance and for being one of the MVPs of global football in 2020. Uh, well, Matt, um, there's no easy answer to that. Premier League might not be for you. Uh, you say you're casual. Uh, then if you're casual, you don't, I mean, you dip in and you dip out. You don't really care that much. I mean, Fulham did beat Leicester in the past 10 days. They're not in the relegation zone. Yeah, they're as, not as that bad. This moment. Like you, you, you can't be that bothered by them if, if, If you're upset by the fact that they haven't a chance of beating Man City, and like I,
0: I went through it a couple weeks ago of like how many more points they would potentially have had they just converted penalties. Like they, they could almost somewhat comfortably be out of the relegation zone right now had they just had they scored simple goals. But like
1: most teams over the past five years can't beat Man City. Like there's no hope, so you don't stop supporting them just because they can't beat the top guys. You know, I mean. They That's can. the thing is like, so, so There's in gotta this be moment, an investment.
0: yeah, in this moment when they're struggling, uh, you know, you, and, and they're not as fun to watch as you want them to be, you want to jump ship. Would you, but like, th- we're not that far removed from when they were playing in a Europa League final. Uh, so I don't think you would have been jumping ship. Then you would probably would have been all in. Like, I, I don't, I don't think you can decide I'm going to be a fan when we're playing fun and I'm not going to be when we're
1: boring like it's you kind of are or you aren't and he doesn't sound like he's bothered so feel 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 absolutely free to to watch lots of soccer do do what I uh, watch lots of premier league football and find a team you enjoy watching or have some kind of connection to because your connection to fulham is very very dicey yeah um jasmine jones Thought the U.S. women look great in their friendly against the Netherlands. Is it possible they are even better and crisper now than they were in the World Cup? If so, what might explain that? New coach, bringing in a few new players, etc. Well, I mean, they were. They. She's
0: right in what she's saying. Look, it's hard to know without this, without being in a true tournament setting, how we can compare them to how they were in the World Cup. But just watching this game, relentless. They just don't stop. Right, and she talked about the new players coming in along with the new manager. But there is there is a nice blend of new names to go along with the ones that we've known about for years. Um, I mean, Christy Mewis coming on, uh, Sam Mewis' sister coming on, mm. getting a goal right out of the gate as a sub, and then like players who we became so familiar with a few years ago, Rose Lavelle, her goal, like beautiful. Sebastian right. Salazar, I think, is still screaming. Um, they didn't really have anything to do in defense, so it's hard to even judge, you know, goalkeeping players at the back just. The attack never stops. It's just like constantly Tobin Heath coming forward. Uh, you know, um, She probably could have scored a couple goals. Uh, Kristen Press had a goal ruled off for offside, which I'm not sure that she was offside. Probably should have. Uh, I don't know. I guess it could have gone either way, but man, was it close? Uh, they were, I don't know. I mean, the Netherlands are looked upon. That's, you know, that's who the, the U.S. beat to win the Women's World Cup a couple of years back. Uh, they didn't have a shot on target. No, and the gap between these two looked, from this game again, just from this game, it looks significant. Uh, so the U.S. women just like we we talk about, you know, different machines and different sports. Liverpool in the Premier League right now, the U.S. This is a machine. They just keep cranking out unbelievable talent, and they just they look like they're
1: going to be tough for years to come. And finally, Andrew, remember a couple of weeks back we had a, a, a mailbag person who had a name that sounded like a, a mass, like some kind of a, a a shooter or a murderer or something. Someone. A his- uh, yeah, of course. What, what was the name? I don't remember the name, but it was three Col- names. Yeah. Colton McCoy Johnston or something like that. Uh, well, we've got another one now, um, but this doesn't sound like anything. He sounds like this guy doesn't sound like uh, you know a, a, a murderer or anything like that. He sounds like a former Um, steel worker from the 19th century. Okay. Samuel Dudley.
0: (laughs) It seems like a pretty normal name. I don't know.
1: Samuel Dudley went west in 1813
0: to find his... If if you're going to use that voice, you can make any... J.J. Devaney here. Yeah, Uh, You can make any name sound like that. I don't know. I can't... I don't think I'm on board with this, Samuel. I apologize on behalf of J.J. for the besmirching that's going on here. I think it's a great name. In 1814,
1: Samuel Dudley discovered the passage, which Uh, maybe, I don't know. Um, My question is, and this is the most obvious, (laughs) one of the great emails. With all the debate in the Premier League this season over increasing the number of substitutions from three to five, it seems that perhaps we've forgotten about the number four. (laughs) (laughs) Would allowing four substitutions, in your opinion, be a fair compromise to maintain the health of the players? Also short, I'm not familiar
0: I, with that number. When I, I count, I typically count one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten.
1: 10. Interesting. Four. In 1984 in New York, Samuel Dudley came up with the idea of the count. One, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, two, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Um, he's right. He's like, no one is just <laughs> saying, can we do four? Back <laughs> yeah. in a Premier League meeting, everyone sits down. We either need three or we need five. And the hand goes up in the back. Dudley, what have you got to say for yourself? What about four? Get out, Dudley. How dare you? I want to hear this again. Four. <laughs> what? You, have you lost your mind, man? Crazy. Dudley, how did he get in here? Uh,
0: that's funny. That's Yeah, he's right.
1: It's perfect. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: the mailbag. Oh, that's great stuff. Um, let's see. Let's take one more quick break, JJ. When we come back, we finish things off with red cards men of the match. Don't want to miss it. Don't go anywhere. Oh, red card, JJ. I'm going to go first here, if you'll allow it. Thank you. Um, JJ, we could not, as you mentioned a little bit before, we could not let this podcast go without mentioning what happened to Barcelona over the weekend. A kind of bizarre 2-1 defeat to Cadiz filled with own goals and self-inflicted mistakes, including a killer one off a throw-in in in the 63rd minute, uh, which was finished off by Alvaro Negredo. Uh, it's hard to fathom, but on points right now, Barcelona are actually closer to the relegation zone than they are to a Champions League place. Not even top of the table, just a Champions League place. Ninth in the league. It's the lowest place they've occupied at this stage in the season since 1971. And then look at this, the authority uh, on all things La Liga. Sid Lowe wrote this in The Guardian. Um, He's talking here about after the, the goal was scored by Negredo. It was only the 63rd minute of the 12th week. And there was still time, a lot of it, but it was done. The match, the campaign, an era, maybe the whole thing sitting on the bench, barely moving. There were moments, long, long moments when Barcelona manager Kuhn seemed to sense it. Arms folded across his chest, head bowed, powerless for the sixth time his team trailed. They had not come back from any of the previous five. And although he sent on Trinkau and Pjanic, they didn't come back here either and never even really looked like they would. It's hard to see how they can come back at all. From the position they're in now, no one else has, ever. Sit low, pronouncing perhaps the end of an era, and I think it's kind of hard to argue with that. This, um, whether it's the Messi era or just Barcelona's reign over... human era. (laughs) Well, that. uh, It does feel like that is not an over-exaggeration to say right now uh in watching this team. And look, there's still
1: Yeah, it's the end of this version. It's the end of of what probably started, would you say under Rijkaard? Late stage, middle stage, Rijkaard 2006 onwards, the 14 years of That's probably it. now Right, cuz that first
0: Champions League, Messi wasn't quite Messi yet. That was still kind of like a Ronaldinho team. Mm. Yeah, I guess maybe that could signify the beginning of kind of the run of like the, the stranglehold that they've had over both the league and Europe. Um, and yeah, it feels like, but I mean, this is La Liga that we're talking about right now where they're ninth, but who knows, like their champions league campaign. They have a game against, it's a messy Ronaldo game actually uh, today, um, Barcelona and Juventus, but like they're, they're doing well there. So I don't know. We could be singing a different tune at some point in terms of how they're performing um, on the European stage as opposed to the domestic one. But in terms of what's going on right now in La Liga, it's, this is like you read the
1: table before. This is weird. It's it, it's uh, it definitely is the end of something and the start of something new. What, well, but we don't know what that's going to look like. They have the financial might, but it's going to be there's going to be major changes. And, and the noises is that are again that Messi will be gone, he will not be a part of whatever new change or new regime happens. Um, uh, my red card, Andrew, is um, Millwall fans. So at the weekend, uh, Millwall played Derby County, and the players took a knee for well the con the continuing knee that everyone's been taking. They they took the knee position that is starting at the at the beginning of every football game, and it was drowned out by by booze and roaring and screaming from the small amount of. Millwall fans, although it sounded like a lot, that were two thousand or so that were allowed into the den uh, for the game. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on it before I say anything else. So personally, this is one uh, with respect to
0: the Millwall fans that booed this. This is one that I don't quite understand what it is that they're booing here. Um, hmm. Look, there are certain there are certain if you want to use the word protests. I don't know that this is even a protest, but like for example. With Colin Kaepernick and the national anthem in that situation, um, like I will always have my feelings on it in terms of the the reaction. Like I, I I side. I tend to. I side with Kaepernick in the way he went about it. I thought it was peaceful, but for whatever reason, that protest was kind of like reappropriated. It became about something that it wasn't, and that's not Kaepernick's doing. I think that just like the message got muddled somewhere along the way, it became about, you know, he doesn't, in doing this, it's it's an affront to our troops. Like it was, it became something else. In terms of what happens, what's going on right now in England with players taking a knee, I don't know how that message can get muddled and turn into something or anything other than promoting racial equality.
1: We That's are taking we are taking a few minutes at the start of this game. a few, minutes, hot, a few seconds, sorry like it's not na- minutes yeah, seconds at the start of this game to acknowledge grave injustices in our society. And also, Andrew, you make such a good point about the message getting muddled. I think the same thing's happening in England a little bit. There's and certainly if you were to gauge by Twitter, there's a belief that this that this is somehow a corporation or a movement, Marxist leftists that are influencing and coercing the players to take a knee when that's just not the case. Ken Early wrote a piece in the Irish Times, which everyone should read. This is a player driven movement. This started with players. Like when Weston McKinney did it for Schalke in the summer where he wore the George Floyd armband, that was to highlight something terrible that had happened and also ongoing problems in, in racial justice. This is not Being done by some shadowy crew of people who have a particular political agenda. We got this tweet from someone, though, which kind of really taps into that a bit. At least the booing is an honest expression and not a coerced act by a corporation. You think these players have a choice on whether they kneel or not? A workplace forcing a person to kneel does not sound that progressive to me. That is not what's happening. But somehow, over the summer, and while these Millwall fans who have been I don't know, imbibing this stuff. They've decided it's some kind of cultural move towards Marxism. It's not even Black Lives Matter anymore. If you want to say Black Lives Matter is a political movement, it's not this anymore. The Football League and the Premier League have, um, the the Premier League, it's what, make uh, no room for racism. That's their campaign now. Black Lives Matter is not on the shirts anymore. And in the Football League, uh, it's it's another banner that... that they're using this is genuinely just taking a few seconds to say there's something wrong in our world and here we are because we feel strongly about it now qpr or excuse me millwall will play qpr tonight and apparently the players have decided that they will both sets of players will embrace with their arms around each other and do a similar style protest to 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 highlight the problem um millwall have condemned their supporters that did this some of our own listeners when we highlighted it andrew they said well, maybe these fans should be banned from the stadium or there should be some kind of action taken against them. I actually don't believe, you know, you can't ban booing in football, but you can call out where this is absolutely wrong. Now, have Millwall a past history of racist actions by their supporters? Yes, nobody's denying. Even the most blinkered Millwall fan wouldn't say that that's not been the case. But, you know, I'm not looking to ban people here. I'm looking for people to acknowledge that this is not some nefarious thing that's going on run by some corporation. This is by people who want to look after their fellow human beings. It's it's that simple. And it's so frustrating to hear what we heard over the weekend. Did you see uh, you
0: see what Gabby Ekbonlahor said, no. former uh, Aston Villa striker? He said if he were a player for Millwall, he'd ask to have his contract canceled. Wow. He would not want to play for that club. He And he went deeper. I mean, he talked about mil- the Millwall support specifically. These are quotes from Talk Sport. He said, I'm not surprised, to be honest. If there was one stadium where I would say this would have happened with fans going back in, it is exactly this stadium. Uh, because when I played there, I was on the bench for an FA Cup game, and I was racially abused by 12-year-olds to 70-year-olds while I was warming up. At the time, I'm just looking at them like, why? I was just laughing at them.
1: I um... It's pretty damning. Over lockdown, I and again, I'm not picking on Millwall, but there is a, there is a problem there. Over lockdown, I watched a game, because I'm a freak, from 1988, Liverpool versus Millwall. And uh, it was at the Den. And when John Barnes gets the ball on the left-hand side, you can audibly hear the monkey chants. Jeez.
0: Uh, all right. Oh, well, on that note, man of the match, JJ. Uh, let's see. I went with Alejandro Putsuelo. We had to mention this. He's been named MLS's most valuable player for 2020. The Landon Donovan MVP award. Nine goals and 10 assists this season for Toronto. Um, I don't think anyone is really arguing with this decision. Although I, I heard, who was it? Rob Stone last night said that if uh, had Reynoso played the whole season for Minnesota, he would have won this in a landslide. Um, I know, but he did. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, golden boot winner, Diego Rossi was the runner up. Nico Ladero was third. Um, in addition to his goals and assists, Pozuelo also first in chances created, tied for first in big chances created. I like that there's a delineation between the two, chances created and big chances created. Uh, he also had a nice message after winning this to his outgoing coach, Greg Vanny. He said, we have a very good relationship inside and outside of soccer. He's a very good person, a very good coach. He pushed me a lot to play at my highest level. He helped me a lot to win this award. I want to say thank you to him. Uh, so, and, and we had talked about this, JJ, when we were talking about previewing the playoffs in Toronto and just how Pozuelo is this creative force that is so hard to account for for opposing defenses. And I don't really see anyone uh, arguing his winning of this award. Congratulations to him, the second Toronto player to do it, of course, Giovinco, uh, the other in 2015. Well deserved, Alejandro Pozuelo, your 2020 MLS MVP.
1: What do you got? Uh, my man of the match is Mario Balatelli. A uh, strange one for me, but I I just want this guy to go somewhere and do well and have some peace. And he's rocked up to Italian second division side Monza for the rest of the 2020-21 season. Uh, the former Manchester City and Italy striker has been a free agent since leaving his hometown club in Brescia in June. And the 30-year-old Andrew, he's 30. <sighs> he I mean, he seems to be 26 forever. He will link up with another former Milan player, the midfielder Kevin Prince Botang. Balotelli's turbulent career has involved stints at some of Europe's biggest clubs, including Internazionale, Liverpool. Uh, he won 36 caps, only 36 caps for Italy and 14 goals. Mm. I just, it's, I mean, maybe it's just another, it's another reset, it's another place, but I'm at the point where I actually want him to go there and be a regular and score 15 goals a season and just. I don't know. It's something about him. I hated that he ever played for Liverpool because I just thought he was so ill-suited to the club. And at the same time, I want him to do well. Because I, I think genuinely, he's he's kind of a lost soul. He had one brilliant game at Liverpool. Uh, it wasn't even brilliant. He just scored against Tottenham. Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess that, that like makes it brilliant. Biggest moment. It was the winner, right? In a 3-2 yeah.
1: Yeah. He used to drive me insane though, Andrew. The board would come up because he he rarely started. The board would come up and Balotelli would be coming on and I'm like, oh and you know a player's body language. I want to see him sprint onto the field or give some directions, ready to go. And Balotelli used to just saunter on, just not bothered. Um it that was a just such a bad fit for everybody. You talk about his age. You're right. Like think about
0: like how long ago now does the um the Manchester City title, you know the QPR game, like that feels like a long time ago, yeah. right? Bell- There's Bellatelli at the center of it. Bellatelli, Aguero, like it was his ball yeah. to Aguero on that winning goal. Like, God, that was a long time ago,
1: man. I remember. Remember, the, he had some great games in in Euro 2012. Remember, he scored. I think it was against Germany for Italy. Like, blasted one into the top corner.
0: Yeah, <sighs> well, you're still you're still keeping tabs on him. At least someone is. I have to. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's our podcast for this week. This is this is a super busy week in soccer. Obviously, there's Champions League action going on. We've got a U.S. Uh, friendly, which we didn't even mention, coming up on Wednesday, I believe, against El Salvador. I'll be, uh, obviously, intently watching that. Big weekend, uh, MLS Cup final. So this is, we're in the thick of it. We are certainly in the thick of it. Next week's podcast is going to be a, a monster to kind of look back on all of these uh, various things. Whew. This was fun, though. I I enjoy this time with you, my friend.
1: Oh, me too. And everyone, subscribe to our specific channel on iTunes. Caught offside. Thank you. There you go.
0: Hey, this was fun to you,
1: I say. Calculator, fun boy. See ya.